Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. This is one of your co-hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, of course, by Eric Trexler. How are you doing this week, Eric? I'm doing well, Erica. Great to have you back. I can't wait to talk to Dick Schaefer today. Yeah, no, we have a, a great uh, guest, someone who is very well known in the uh, in the industry. We have Dick Schaefer, who was the former uh, IAD at NSA, which is an Information Assurance Directorate. Hi, hi, Dick. How you doing? Good morning. Doing very well. Sunny day in Maryland. And Erica, it's a, <laughs> it, there's a there are a couple directors in there, so so I just want to clarify. Dick was the director of the Information Assurance Director Directorate at. NSA. Dick, how many years did you do that? So I was the information assurance director from 2006 until I retired in 2010. So a little over four years um, under Keith Alexander, who was the, the director at the time. Okay. And you were a Marine in your early career, early in your career, correct? Early life. I, uh, I, I joined the Marine Corps out of high school, uh, sort of at the height of the Vietnam War and served in the Marine Corps from 1966 to 1970. Those are some busy years in Vietnam wow. back then. Yeah. When I, what, what makes you join the Marine Corps out of high school? That was my I, question. I did the same, <laughs> I did the same thing with the Army. Um, we, we weren't in an active conflict like the Vietnam War, but what makes you do something like that? Well, um, so I come from a Marine family. And um, at the time that I, I graduated from high school, I, I knew I wanted to be an engineer. I just wasn't ready for the next phase of, of education. And so I, I felt compelled. Um, I actually joined the Marine Corps before I graduated, uh, which enabled me to uh, sort of pick what I wanted to do. Um, I, I had hopes of being a, a Marine aviator. And so I went into the aviation field of, of the Marine Corps um, and and so joining early allowed me to 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 do that. Uh, just didn't work out relative to being a a marine aviator when I was in Vietnam, and I was there from 1968 through 1970. In 1970, the Marine Corps began to sort of wind down their uh, movement of um, folks. They had a a program at uh, um, university where you know you could go and get your degree, graduate, and then go on to, uh, to flight school from there. And, and the program wound down. And so I uh, exited the Marine Corps and uh, went to college and uh, ultimately did become the engineer that I wanted to in the beginning. You know, it's interesting. That's almost the same story that I had. I, I joined, I signed up for the delayed entry program in high school, left right after high school, went through the Army. There was a green to gold program that yeah, just didn't apply to me. So I, I, I got out and finished off my college and also, you know, technical background. Interesting parallel there. Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. And I, you know, it, uh, I, I did know NSA from any other agency. And uh, one day a recruiter comes to campus and, and we're talking and uh, I said, uh, oh, you are the guys that built that lousy crypto that we had to use in Vietnam. And <laughs> <laughs> said, no, no, 
we don't we don't build lousy crypto. And I said, well, it, it, it doesn't work operationally for us. And he said, well, why don't you come help us fix that? And, oh, wow. uh, and that was the beginning of, uh, I ended up at NSA in 1975 and, and had no idea how long I'd stay in, in 1990 or excuse me, 2010, I walked out of there with, you know, 36, 37 years behind me, never knowing that I, how long I was going to stay. And it, and it went by very quickly. Did you make crypto so I'm sure better? You saw a lot of, oh, good question, Eric. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to carry some of that <laughs> infantryman in the army, and it was it was very heavy, Erica, jumping it and 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 just humping it through the bush. It, it was quite heavy, so I didn't care about its its ability to encrypt as much as I did the weight of the batteries and the device itself. Well, yeah, we we were um, so I ended up in a uh, in an A four. Uh, squadron, small attack aircraft, and we were flying uh, KY-28s um, in the uh, in the uh, in the aircraft, and and the sync time, and that wasn't a you know by today's standards, it wasn't a uh, a Mach one plane. It was uh, about a you know 600 knot maximum plane, and uh, but when it takes um, more than a couple of seconds for two systems to sync up, you've moved a long way um, at, you know, 400 plus knots or um, which was kind of kind of typical. So it, it wasn't as if uh, it worked very well. And then, there, of course, there was compatible hardware for the ground and, and the same kind of situation. If you're calling in uh, close air support and it takes a while for uh, systems to sync up, um, you've, uh, you've probably passed over the target or, um, you know, you're in a panic mode and, and sort of calling in the support. So I, it just didn't work very well for us. So most of the systems never got turned on. Everything was operated in the clear. And, um, so that's what I, I went to NSA to, uh, I didn't know uh, ComSec from communication security from anything else. I didn't know NSA from anything else. I just knew I was a, a young electrical engineer who wanted to go do exciting stuff. So it seemed like a, uh, a good opportunity. And in retrospect, uh, it, it certainly was. I, I was never bored a day in my life at NSA and, and worked with some of the smartest people in the world. Well, and Dick, I imagine, did you say you spent, was it 37 years there at NSA? Yeah, I got there in, um, in, uh, 1975 and I left in 2010 and, uh, as it, uh, as it works out in the time, it was about 36 years. Um, and then I had time as I was in college, I was working at Harry Diamond Laboratories, um, designing, uh, proximity fuses for the army, um, uh, and, um, and, and others. So, uh, it was a sort of a co-op program, um, and uh, that helped sort of pay for the education along with GI Bill, and and gave me some um, design experience, uh, which carried well when I went to NSA. Well, and I'm sure you just saw so many changes in terms of the um, the areas of, of focus and, and evolution, and just I can only imagine. I mean, that's that's a, that's a long time to spend at such a uh, a critical 
um, you know, agency like an NSA. What, what, what? In, especially in the in the space of um, you know, the threat and attacks we've seen from adversaries, especially in the, in the cyberspace world. What types of changes did you see throughout that those thirty seven years? I'm sure it was quite different from when you started and and what you were focused on to when you left, as especially being the IAD director. Well, uh, so if if I break my career up into into chunks at NSA, I I spent the first fifteen years of my my career in the in the overhead business working high speed encryption systems for some of the what I referred to as the battle stars, some of the big intelligence platforms. Um, and then I did tactical uh, comms. I did uh, nuclear command and control. Um, I led the research organization for a while. And, and uh, also just prior to going uh, back to the, to the defensive side of the operation, I, uh, I ran the National Security Operations Center um, from 2003 to 2006, and you know it was it was a great it was a great time. Um, I helped uh, integrate NSOC, the National Security Operations Center, with with the NSA CSS Threat Operations Center, NTOC, and our Counterterrorism Center um, into a sort of a single coherent operational um, platform. Um, so an exciting time, but with, with respect to, to cyber, um, you know, if you look at the, at the big adversaries, um, nation states, uh, those that we always considered to be the, uh, the, the, the top threats, what, what I saw over the years were, uh, tools and techniques that were developed, uh, by the high end actors, uh, find their way down the chain to the, to the lower level players. Um, I spent some time on a defense science board where we created a six tier adversarial threat model, uh, with tiers five and six being, um, nation state actors, high capability, um, adversaries, um, and then at tier six, those who could actually do it at scale. So it's, it's not doing a single operation, those that would run multiple operations at a time. Um, that threat model is still in use today. And, uh, but the tools and techniques used by those top tier players uh, find their way down to, to the lower level. Think about the criminals and then, um, you know, the general hacker community. Anyone can go on the internet today and download a set of tools that would be remarkably effective against a very broad range of, of targets today and targets, whether that's a, a capital T, uh, you know, a, a, a um, high value asset or whether it's a small T, it could be, you know, ransomware used against a, uh, a small town or a hospital or, or, or one of the entities where you know, people are uh, are uh, extorting funds from those entities um, using those those ransomware tools today. They're publicly available. Dick, over the course of your career, I mean, I, I think maybe uh, confirm or deny here, but we, we've seen the enablement of those second, third, fourth tier adversaries. Where with with cyber and globalization and IT, you know, communications coming online. 
is it not easier for, you know, in North Korea or a small country in Africa, really doesn't matter, I guess, to actually attack our infrastructure or the United States or any country than it used to be in the old, more physical world? Oh, a- a- absolutely. I-, I don't think there's a-, a nation in the world that would go up against the United States, um, you know, essentially mano a mano. Um, you know, from a kinetic standpoint, there isn't a more powerful military in the world. Right. Um, you don't need that today. Uh, sort of the asymmetric threat environment that we talk about, uh, you can use cyber to condition uh, the battlefield. Um, you know, however one wants to define the battlefield, you can use cyber capabilities to condition the battlefield that can be done by, um, you know, a teenager with a laptop or, uh, it can be done by a nation state adversary, um, across the internet. And in some cases it's very difficult to tell, um, you know, one from the other. So um, the beginning of your I happen career, to be go in, ahead. No, I was just going to say, I happen to be in the Pentagon in um, 1998 when uh, uh, two teenagers from uh, California um, tied up the Department of Defense for six weeks. Uh, if you Google solar sunrise, uh, you get the background on, on that. It looked like um, an attack coming from Iran, um, but it was two 16-year-olds from Cloverdale, California. So it, Really? It, you nice. know. Yeah, the internet is a you know it's a it's a powerful place for good. It's it's also a highway for uh, you know malicious behavior by anyone uh, with the right tools and techniques and 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 the right access. Yeah, and it's so easy. It's so easy to obfuscate your your activities. To uh, you know the enablement piece is easy. I mean, I imagine in the beginning of your career, the early parts, you were focused on the Eastern Bloc countries primarily, and as things evolved. I can only imagine what the job is like trying to to understand how to attack against all these new access points, all these new adversaries or potential adversaries, including two kids in, in California. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an incredibly complex problem. Um, I think the intelligence community, uh, in, including NSA, does a remarkable job at, at attribution. So, you know, is it too... Two, two teenagers located somewhere? Uh, is it uh, a nation state that's, uh, that's perpetrating a, uh, uh, an event that's, that's, that's maybe part of some larger uh, operation? Um, but there's so much noise uh, in, the, in the channel today, to use a, you know, a comms analogy, there's so much noise in the channel today that you have to weed through all that stuff uh, to get at the... Uh, to get at the true, you know, adversarial uh, information. We do a much, much better job today than we did um, in the early days of, of the practice, um, but it's still a complex problem. And, and the ability to hop from location to location, uh, essentially virtually, um, you know, creates some pretty significant challenges. Hi, everyone. I hope you've been enjoying this great conversation with Dick Schaefer. We are actually going to make this into two episodes because we just could not stop talking. (laughs) So please continue to listen next week for part two of our interview with Dick Schaefer. Thanks so much. And please continue to uh, tune in and listen to To The Point Cybersecurity. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 